Some of the brightest minds in America come through the Economic War Room. It's an honor and a privilege for us. Uh, today we have Floyd Brown, who's been a friend for a long time. Turns out we were born the same year, graduated from high school the same year, have seen kind of the same trajectory. We've known each other a long time. Floyd is an author, speaker, media commentator. He's the former CEO of USA Radio Network. He founded the Western Journal, which is some of the best source for news you, you'll ever find. Early in his career, he worked for President Ronald Reagan and Senator Bob Dole, and he was the first president of Citizens United, you know, that amazing Supreme Court case that allows us to have free speech, even with our money. So welcome, Floyd, to the Economic War Room. It's great to be with you, Kevin. I've been looking forward to a chance to be on your show, and I enjoy it as a uh, follower, and uh, it's great to be with you. Well, you've got a great family, and you've got a great new book, Counterpunch, uh, unlikely Alliance of Americans Fighting Back for Faith and Freedom. Well, you know, I have uh, traveled extensively speaking at conferences, and I, I spoke at some of the early uh, conferences when COVID was still kind of uh, out there, but I wanted to break out of my imprisonment, and uh, so I thought going to speak at a big conference would do that. And uh, as I travel, I've had so many people say to me, what can I do to save America? I think all of us have this foreboding sense that America hangs by a thread, and we all want to do something to change things or to fight, fight back. Fight back, yes. Right. And one of this the things- This conference I read, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. My hometown. So I found that fun. <laughs> And it was Clay, at, Clay Clark. It, yeah, it was at Rima Bible Church because none of the conference centers would have us. The hotels were still, you know, eerily silent back then, and they weren't weren't allowing conferences. So we had to be in a church, and it was so wonderful because everybody was still wearing masks. They were, you know, social distancing and everything. We got into that into that church. And the masks came down. We started actually hugging people. That's we great. reconnected with humanity, uh, and it was it was it was really wonderful. But it started a series of conferences, and I've spoken. There's I think there's been 18 conferences now, and I think I've spoken at 12 or 13 of them. the The, the key thing is though is people wanted to do something, and, and what I wanted to share with them was some. Uh, some knowledge I'd learned a long time ago, and that is you have the most power to make change right where you're at. And so don't wait for somebody to ride into Washington, D.C. On, on a white horse. Make change where you're at, in your neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. Get involved in the school district. Get involved in the town council. Get involved in the county government. That's where people can have real impact and protect themselves. You know, we're seeing that right here uh, where we are, the uh, school boards. I remember Alan West was our first guest in the Economic War Room, and he said the most important elected official in America is the school board. And I thought, well, I, you know, you've been a congressman. You, you're a colonel. What, what do you mean? <laughs> and, and the truth is he's right. And we've taken school boards here, people have gotten active, and they've said, look, I don't want you shutting down the schools, I don't want you uh, putting masks or forcing vaccines on my kids, and I absolutely don't want you giving them pornography or telling them that a boy is a girl or a girl a boy and, and encouraging them. You know, I think 25% of high school students currently identify as LGBT. 
TQ. And that's not a mistake. Oh, it's crazy. And, and the reason is, is because the left worships government. Okay, we go to church to worship. The left worships government. And so every single little job that they can find, whether it's school board or town auditor or justice of the peace, they run for it. It's part of their worship, yeah. their love of government. And so they were busy filling all of these spots and churches weren't showing up. In Phoenix, where I live, we have this elementary school district called the Washington School District, and three of the five who were on the district were, were, were LGBTQ. And um, I remember that uh, the, the head of the school board said she identified as a cat, not as a woman, not as a man, but she the identified- The head of the school board. Uh, the, as a cat. And so, um, I wonder what, how did this happen? But what, 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 what it really shows is that we didn't show up because in that school district sat a number of mega churches with huge followings and pastors that, that could have easily controlled that school board, but they didn't show up. And so the LGBTQ took it over. Now, the reason I found out about it is because I'm on the board of a Christian college. That school district actually said, we don't want student teachers from, from Arizona Christian University. And that's how it all came out. I know there's a recall effort now, but those mega churches in that district were letting their children be educated by people who were diametrically opposed to the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. That's just, it is nuts. And the idea that the head of the school, you almost want to send her some catnip so she can chill out. But well, it, it, she she would she would wear these little kitty uh, ears. It's and she said, "I identify as a cat, whatever that means." Educating insanity is what that is. Well, we've got a lot of problems. We we've got the education. We've got the border. You cover all these in 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 the book Counterpunch. You really walk through how we got here and what the problem is. And and in a very concise fashion. It's easy easy to read. Yeah, well, you know, at the Western Journal, we cover the news every day, and I really think it's important. Every couple of years, I try to step back and I try to say, where are we at in this fire hose of news? What's actually behind the scenes happening? And the trends that um, I see are there's a group of globalists mm -hmm. that want to, uh, essentially end the United States of America so they can have global governance and so that America as we know it will officially go away. Yeah, no, it matches uh, according to plan, the elite secret plan to sabotage America. And it's what the Chinese communists are doing too. And I think they're working together like Hitler and Stalin. At some point they may turn on each other, but the globalists and the Chinese communists are working together and their intention is to destroy America. It is to destroy America because America is the only protector of freedom on the globe. No, there's no question. Well, we're going to need to take a break. Uh, we'll talk about some of the bad problems, but what I love about the book is it's about solutions. And we're going to, after the break, dive into the solutions. And then we'll just talk about what America can and should be like if we return to the Constitution and faith in God. So let's take a break and we'll be right back. We're talking with Floyd Brown, his longtime friend. He's written a great new book called Counterpunch. 
And we've talked about the problems. We all know the problems. We cover them every week here in the Economic War Room. We covered a lot of them in my book, According to Plan. But what I love about Counterpunch is it's not just a book about problems. It talks about solutions. And Floyd started to tell us some of the solutions at the local level, at the lowest uh, level of government where you can get involved with your town council and your school board and stand up. And we're doing that here in the Economic War Room. We're encouraging that, like with our Texas transactional goal bill, we've got people coming from all over the state talking at the state level. And eventually we'll get to the federal level, but we can't count on Washington to ride in, like he said, on a white horse and save us. It's just not going to happen. So, Floyd, you yeah, talk. It's, and it's not going to happen for some really important reasons. The elites have purchased our government. Okay, and they own Congress. It's it, it's governed by what I call a uniparty, and uh, you know there are a few, there are a few good people. I spent 13 years in D.C. and I remember a mentor of mine, Stan Evans, saying to me in about 1987, I think it was. He said, "You know, Floyd, we came to Washington um, because we knew it was a cesspool, but." Now that we've been here a few years, we realize it's actually a hot tub. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, Donald Trump called it the swamp. Back then we called it a cesspool. But I've been through four different major wave elections in my lifetime. I was part of the Reagan revolution. Right. I went to Washington as a young man to be part of that revolution. I was very active. I was running Citizens United in 1994 when we had the contract for America and Newt another Gingrich, wave right. election with Newt Gingrich. And, uh, and then, you know, who can forget the Tea Party? I, I traveled around with actually with Andrew Breitbart and Joseph Farah. We went to Tea Party rallies. I think I spoke at 50 Tea Party rallies almost every state. I mean, I went all over with the Tea Party movement. Another massive wave election. We were going to change America. And, um, uh, and then, of course, you can't forget 2016, where Donald Trump, we had the presidency, we had the House, we had the Senate, we had everything, the trifecta, and still conservatives couldn't even repeal Obamacare. Right. And so you have to ask yourself, why is that? What is it about that system? And really, I came to the conclusion that it had been bought. It had, it, and so uh, you had... Um, People would go to D.C., and, and I think this is people on the left and the right, and w when they would first go there, they would have such great vigor, and they were going to change things, and then, you know, they'd make that first little compromise, uh, and then they'd get reelected, and then maybe another bigger compromise, and then, you know, they wake up eight or nine or ten years later, they become what they went to Washington to defeat, Except there are very few exceptions, but there are some, uh, and and they get marginalized, they get vilified. You know, I talked to Dave Bratt this morning on on right. On a he call. was he was one. He was a good one, and Louis Gohmert. Uh, yeah. I talked to him. You know, the, my, those... my my good friend Andy Biggs, who's still in the house, uh, but you know they, they he's, get he's part of the Freedom Caucus, marginalized, and, right? And they don't leave and join corporate boards. No. Uh, the, the, if you compromise, you have a paycheck that's worth millions of dollars once you depart Congress. If you, if, if you do compromise, you get that. If you don't compromise, you're out, and you're out hard. Yeah, and uh, uh, the ones that are part of the club, they stay in D.C., they move their office down to K Street, they become lobbyists, and then they are part of the cycle. 
Um, and so that, that, that has to be broken, but that's one of the reasons why I'm totally focused on the local level, because uh, you know, we have, under our constitutional form of government, we have the ability to fight back against the federal government. And um, the states, the, the, the state leadership, the state legislators, the governors need to realize that they have the 10th Amendment, that yes. they can operate under. We still have a constitution. The constitution is still the law of the land, but you'll lose those rights if you don't Exercise. use those rights right. and exercise those rights. So it's really important for state leaders to understand. That's why I love transactional gold. It's really important what Texas is doing to reclaim their money because the Federal Reserve is completely extra constitutional and I would say probably uh, should have been struck down. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Michael Meharry uh, uh, from the 10th Amendment Center was just here talking about the importance of the 10th Amendment. Actually, the powers granted to the federal government are very limited. Extremely limited. And now we have this administrative state, and we have a court, a Supreme Court, that seems to be willing to take on, piece by piece, some of the administrative state and say, hey, you can't make up all the rules, and if you're not an elected official, if you're not in Congress, you can't be making law, which is what they've been doing. Yeah, and but Congress see, has allowed them, the administrative state, to take power from Congress because congressmen don't want power, they want to get reelected. And if they take tough votes and if they fight on things, then uh-oh, all of a sudden their reelection might be in question. No, you're, you're exactly right. You don't fight the system. Unfortunately, if we don't act now, we are anemic. We have not exercised our rights, and the states are willing to go along with the federal government like they did on the highway bill. You know, at 55 miles an hour, I remember the fight. Oh, you can't tell our state that's a state right. And they said, well, you don't get highway funding money. Oh, and everybody went to 55. The states have deeded too much power to the federal government. It's time we take it back. Well, in fact, they deeded their taxing power. They should have never allowed the federal government to begin to tax people directly through the income tax, which is a whole other topic. But uh, the truth is, that you're right, the administrative state has grown too large, and there needs to be a wholesale restructuring of government. And that wholesale restructuring is really outlined, outlined by the founders. The founders had a beautiful vision. It's called the Constitution. The states can be this place where we can do all kinds of policy but not at the federal level. The federal government needs to be downsized and it should only be involved in protecting our nation, securing our border, and keeping the peace. And those are the things it's not doing now. Well, it should be giving us sound money too. Money is something constitutionally given to the federal government. There's an option for the state, only sound money for the state. But uh, we, we, have a, we have a big challenge. It also happened when we started to allow popular election of senators. So we no longer have a representation in Congress of the states themselves. Right, that's, that, 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 that's a major problem. But in the book, I spend a lot of time talking about what I call the great wealth transfer. So when you and I were born in the 60s, uh, the wealth disparity was much smaller. Wealthy, there were wealthy people, there were the Rockefellers and what have you, but. That disparity has grown in our lifetime. Well, we're gonna need to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about that and then let's talk about the solution. How do we fix the financialization of America that's caused us not to produce things uh, just to play with funding money? 
Floyd, before the break, you talked about the wealth gap and how it's gotten wider. And I want, I want to bring this out because too often people think, oh, conservatives and people that believe in the Constitution, they're just anti-poor people. They're anti-middle class. They're just a bunch of fat cats. It's actually the opposite. Yeah, no, it, it is because the system has been gamed to help the fat cats. That's what people don't realize. And it, it starts with the money, okay? The truth is, is that money needs to be a store of value. And since we went off the gold standard, money hasn't been stable. It has just evaporated. I mean, I remember five and dime stores. Yeah. Now you can't even go into a dollar store and find something for a buck. That's right. Okay? That's not because somebody hasn't been stealing from you. And people need to understand, especially poor people, they have more wealth stolen by inflation than they do even by taxes. It's a stealth tax that's robbing you day after day after day after day. And so um, if money isn't a store of value, the, then poor people are gonna get poorer and the middle class right now is getting crushed. Yeah. I mean, they can't afford milk, they can't afford eggs, they can't afford bread, they can't afford- uh, Gasoline. Gasoline, I mean, it's just, it's 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 unreal, but it's it's all according to plan, and um, and so um, this great wealth transfer was facilitated. What I talk about in the book is about the great financialization, and you know, in our lifetime we saw this break in the Glass-Steagall uh, bill, which had kept banks and financial institutions separate. So and that's when we graduated. So when we were born, and then at age 10, we bought a candy bar for a dime. It's now a buck and a half for $2. So we've seen that. And 1979 is when we graduated from college or high school. We're right. getting out into the workforce. Right. In fact, uh, I remember uh, my dad made me go and sit in the gas line. That was what I did to fill up the car. But, uh, uh, and so we can remember that big inflation of the 70s. And I think that helps give us some perspective as to how things have changed. I mean. My, my parents bought a house for $13,000, a house, yeah. okay? I just took my daughter this weekend, we bought a used car for almost 30,000, and it was used. used. Yeah, it, and you can't sleep in it. You can, but it's not very comfortable. Yeah, right. uh, but my parents bought a house for half that. I know, my, my parents' first house was 12,000, you know, we're about the same, and then when they bought their big, massive $50,000 house, they thought, oh my goodness, how will we ever pay for this? Yeah, in fact, I remember as a kid getting the publisher's clearinghouse, and in the publisher's clearinghouse circular, the mansion was a $100,000 yeah. mansion. Wow. The mansion, the biggest mansion. Now you can barely buy a, in some states, a million dollar home is, is, is this a normal home? Yeah, no it is. So, so anyway, but, you've but, got solutions. Yeah, so solutions, there are a lot of solutions. First, uh, you know, I love transactional gold, that's a great solution. So I'm, I'm totally 100% on board with that. But um, really, what I encourage people to do is get involved locally. All of us live in a community. There's over 3,000 counties in America, and um, there's, I think, 3,100 total. And over 3,000 of those are red counties, which means we can control the vast majority of America um, and uh, the, the big territory, and, and we need to. But we don't often because we don't show up. 
We just aren't involved. And I especially uh, talk to churches about this. There's a heresy that's grown up in this church that really is from the 1960s. It's that there's a separation between church and state, which means Christians can't be involved in politics. That is totally wrong. That is wrong. Christians are mandated by scripture to be active in politics. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus transformed me, he changed me, he took over every area of my life. He's not only involved with me on Sunday, he's involved with me when I go to work on Monday, he's involved in every area of my life, including my involvement in politics. That is the Jesus I know, he, he rules our lives completely. And so I call on churches, and pastors and people of faith to re-engage. In every single one of those 3,100 counties, there's churches. And those churches aren't exercising the power that they have in their community to control things, and they need to start doing it. Which means they are sentencing children to sex slavery when you don't protect the border. They're sentencing people to drug uh, addictions. They're sentencing people to a false beliefs and belief that themselves are God, which means to hell. There, right. there are reasons we need to be active politically because Jesus commanded it to be salt and light here on planet Earth. And we're not doing it, and we need to do it. No, and but, but we can. And I tell people, if you're in a church where they tell you you shouldn't be involved in politics, find another church. And if you... Um, you know, and, 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 and if you're not in church at all, and a lot of people haven't gone back to church since COVID, right. get together with other believers. You've got to be in community. And even if it's a home church with just a group of you together, 12, 15, 20, worshiping God in community is really important and it's mandated by scripture. So, uh, you know, all of these solutions start at the local level. What I really say in the end, I, I tell a story about a guy named Basil Ferminos. Basil was upset with the mask mandate in Arizona, so he texted 50 of his friends to show up at a coffee shop. 250 people showed up. Wow. And they fought the mask mandate. His group, which is called the North Valley Constitutional Citizens in, in Phoenix now, it meets every other uh, Monday night at Amped Coffee Shop, and they are impacting their community. And people need to do that in whatever community they live. Uh, absolutely. We're in strange times. We're in biblical times in one form or fashion. Now, you shared something from Mirabeth about uh, Daniel. Yes, yes. Well, uh, my wife, who is my great discerner-in-chief, she sent me here with a Bible verse for you. It's Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Praise God. Absolutely. And that's what we're here in the economic war room. The world makes it all about the money. And so we have to win what we call the economic war of the heart, which means put money in its rightful place. It's a tool God has given us. It's a, it's a weapon in an economic war, but it is not the purpose and the intention Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, we call it liberty, security, and values. Those are the things that we pursue here, not ESG and not all that other garbage. It is so good to have you, Floyd, in the Economic War Room. Thanks for coming to visit us. Thank you for what you do, Kevin. Thank you. I want to recommend this book, Counterpunch. It is a fantastic book. I, I, I read it, carried it with me to Austin, 
and then I left it in the hotel room, so I bought the Kindle version, and then Floyd brought a, a copy I could share with you today. It's a fantastic book. What he talks about is what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. We've sat back too long and just said, oh, the market will take care of it instead of getting involved. It's time for us to get involved. You can get a free copy of our economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. This is Kevin Freeman from The Economic War Room. Thank you.